The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome into another edition of the Five Reasons Podcast. My name is Chris Whittingham, joined as always by Ethan Skolnick. And Ethan, it is FSU week. So we're going to carry on with our really, I think we're covering every major professional sports team in town this week because we've got our Dolphins Canes episode from the weekend. We've got John Crotty, which aired yesterday. We've got our big Panthers preview coming up tomorrow. So we're covering it all here in the Five Reasons Sports Podcast. Be sure to check out all the podcasts and the Five Reasons Sports Network. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us here at Five Reasons Sports. But tomorrow we're talking to George Richards of The Athletic. Today, another guest from The Athletic, Manny Navarro, is joining us to talk some Miami FSU. Manny, appreciate the time. Oh, thanks for having me on again, guys. You can find him still at Manny underscore Navarro. And then The Athletic MIA on Twitter. A bunch of our other friends have already appeared with us and are, have joined them. Or, Orlando Alzagari, Shandell Richardson, Andre Fernandez, Chris Perkins is our only three-time guest. Manny is now at two times. We'll see if Manny gets, gets up there. And then, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking to George Richards to preview the Panthers. So um, Manny is now back covering the team that he covered for several years. You may know him from his heat coverage uh, from the past three years, but moved back to the Miami Hurricanes this year. And obviously we've got a lot to talk about with the Canes because they're playing the seventh best. They're playing the seventh best team in the state of Florida this weekend. Um, No, I I mean, if they were playing UCF, this would be a much bigger deal. Um, UF also looks better than FSU. I don't know about FAU and FIU. We'll see. USF certainly does. FSU is not great right now. We're going to start with you there, Manny. They're not great. And they've got a new coach. And I feel like half of the country has fired the coach already. And so the question is this. This is a rivalry game. You do the whole throw out all the record stuff. And I know people talk like that. But FSU is just not very good this year. And so, so what does this mean for Miami? Because I'm looking at the rest of the schedule and I see Virginia Tech and they've already had a really bad loss. And I see a potential showdown with Clemson, depending on what Bryant's situation is and where Clemson is at that stage in the ACC championship game. I don't see a lot of other interesting games on the schedule. So what does it mean for Miami? Do they need to beat this team by two or three touchdowns? Well, I think we've reached the level now with Mark Richt where if you're really going to be a different program than, than what it was under Al Golden and what it was under Randy Shannon and, you know, towards the end of the Coker years, it, it's about beating the teams that you should beat. And this is an FSU team that Miami should beat. They're 12-point favorites in this game. And when you look at it on paper, Florida State, look, they've still got athletes. They've still got guys that are talented. They've got a defensive end, and Brian Burns is probably going to be a first-round pick. Uh, they've got playmakers at the receiver position. The two running backs are very, very talented. I, I think DeAndre Francois is a pretty good quarterback, but they're horrible up front on the offensive line. And this is a game that with Gerald Willis and Joe Jackson and some of the guys that you have in that front seven, this is a game that really, if you're the better team, if you've really grown as a program, this is a game that you win. This is a game that FSU won for years, right? When Miami was down, when Miami didn't have a good offensive line or, you know, the poor quarterback play. 
this is the time when Miami has to sort of put their foot on FSU's neck and say, okay, you got a new coach in Willie Taggart. Your offensive line is horrendous. We're more talented than you. We're better than you. We should win this game. And so I think what, if you're a Hurricanes fan, what you want to see this week is that Miami goes out. And I don't know if they have to win this game by 35 points, but certainly win it convincingly enough where you're, you're not in the fourth quarter sweating, saying, oh, my God, can Nikosi Perry make a throw here on third down to help the Canes win this game? I think Miami's good enough where they should win this game comfortably. And, and you're saying to yourself, okay, you look at the rest of the schedule, um, there's no reason they can't run the table. For me, the thing that is you look back at last year and the way that they won that game kind of informs the way that I'm going into this game, which is FSU was bad last year. And I think that that kind of bore out over the course of their schedule. It took a massive beating away to Boston College and eventually Jimbo Fisher left the program and they had to schedule a makeup date from the hurricane just to get to a bowl game. And Miami struggled to like move the ball, get first downs on offense and I think those kind of performances are at least in part why Malik Rozier has been swapped out. But we'll get to the quarterback position in a second. I just sort of wonder if Miami is really over going against that uniform, that logo, and have the games actually changed with Miami and FSU to where now Miami can be expected to not just win the game or have a chance to win the game, but actually dominate in it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what the hope is, right? You you would hope that they get back to that level. There were certainly years when Miami was at its best that they would dominate FSU, even when FSU was good. I don't think the Hurricanes are to that level yet, Chris, where, where they're going to come out and dominate a rival like Florida State. I think FSU still has good enough athletes in this game to, to make it interesting, to make you want to watch this game. But I think certainly in year three of the Mark uh, Rick era, where he, he's now had you know three recruiting classes, he's had time for those linebackers to grow up. He's been able to groom some of his own recruits and, and certainly finally has his own quarterback under center. This is the year where you say to yourself, you know what? Miami took enough butt whippings from FSU over the years. This is the year where you, you flip the script and now you sort of take advantage when, when the Seminoles are down. And I think, you know, you look at last year's game, you're right. I mean, it, it literally came down to Daryl Langham coming up with a huge catch with six seconds left in the game for Miami to pull that out. It shouldn't have been that close considering how bad FSU was last year. But again, that's to me a sign of where the program was. Yes, Miami started 10-0 and last year, but how many of those other games in the regular season did they struggle to win? Georgia Tech, for instance, uh, the you know the North Carolina game was nip and tuck. North Carolina was terrible, and they, and they barely won on the road in Chapel Hill. So I think if you're Miami, last week you go out, you beat a not very good North Carolina team soundly. You handle FIU for the most part a couple weeks ago. You go on the road to Toledo, you win. Even though it was a little hairy there in the first half, you still win that game pretty comfortably. I think that's the trend that you want to see if you're a Miami Hurricanes fan. You want to see this team continue to at least win games where you're not sweating it out in the fourth quarter. And that's a big difference from last year, and to me that's a step forward. What would you say that Miami fans and, and sort of the Miami community writ large has learned about this team in the aftermath of the LSU game? Obviously, the quarterback change is, is massive. We'll get to that next. But for me, the fact that LSU is really good and that this team is really good, that this roster, which at times really struggled to cope with LSU's size in that game and LSU's overall athleticism, I think Miami has shown themselves that they're kind of at that level. And I, would, I, I think that they would expect that if they played that game again, they would be much more competitive. Yeah, I think, I think what we've learned, Chris, is that this is a legitimate top 25 team, uh, a team that maybe is even worthy of really being in the top 15. And, you know, I mean, I think the preseason expectations, starting off number eight, you, you know, you still have the same quarterback under center who had struggled uh, through the first, uh, you know, through the last uh, few games of the season. You had an offensive line that was being completely redone. 
And yeah, it was 33 to three in the fourth quarter. I think if Miami and LSU were to play today, I don't know who I would pick. And LSU's obviously proven to be a pretty good team. They're they're in the top ten. They did have an impressive win on the road at Auburn. So, you know, I think I think what we've learned about this team is that look, okay, maybe they shouldn't have been ranked eighth in the preseason, but they're certainly worthy of, of being in the top 25. Certainly worthy of being right there outside of the top 15. And in terms of talent, I mean, you've seen it, especially at the receiver position. A guy like Amon Richards goes down in the first half of that game, and yet it doesn't doesn't matter who's playing quarterback you're still getting tremendous play out of your receivers Jeff Thomas has been phenomenal Mike Harley came in with Jeff Thomas got hurt in the FIU game and played well Lawrence Cager's been solid for them you know this is this is when you start to grow back you know go back to being an elite program or a team that's really a contender year in and year out it's really about depth it's not about just the stars you know the big names that you might have at one position here there you know we, we went through the years where you had the Duke Johnson's and you had the Sean Spence on defense. Uh, now you're, you're really beginning to build some depth. And I think that's what you're starting to see with this Hurricanes team. Manny, before we transition uh, to the quarterback situation, because we want to focus on it a little bit, uh, can you in a short answer tell us what's happened to FSU in your judgment? Well, I mean, look, you go through a, a coaching change. And look, Jimbo, his last couple years, you look at what was going on there. He had coaches that were leaving for other programs, you know, taking better jobs. So little by little, his coaching staff was getting picked off. And what's happened to them this year is just they've, they've got probably one of the worst offensive lines in all of college football. Just It's a complete and total mess at that position. I went through uh, Pro Football Focus's grading system, and, and literally they don't have an offensive tackle rated higher than 103 out of 150 qualified offensive tackles oh when it comes to grading. <laughs> I mean, that's literally their highest rated guy is their starting left tackle. He's 103rd. And this is among Power 5 conference schools. And so, you know, when you were that bad at, at such an important position, you're not going to win most Saturdays. And the fact that they were able to pull off the win in Louisville Saturday was, uh, was impressive to me. That was more of a DeAndre Francois taking advantage of an opportunity. And so, look, I think what's happened to them is just when you, whenever you go through coaching changes, whenever you fire a coach or, or let you know, the coach leaves for another program, you're going to have that year where it's going to take a while to sort of piece everything together. There's still Florida State. I think in two years they're going to be back to being one of the better teams in the ACC again. Right, let's move on to part two here. We talked about this a little bit, but obviously this has been the thing that Canes fans were waiting for was the quarterback change. And now some are wondering why it wasn't done sooner and if that had ma- would have mattered against LSU. But to be honest, I mean, Perry has been up and down so far when he's gotten some opportunity. Like you can see the potential. You can see the way it changes, the way the defense has to play. But he's hardly been perfect. So – where are you on him, and what kind of game does he need to play on Saturday? Well, when I first came back on the beat about two weeks before the season started, I started asking people about, why is Malik still the quarterback? And the answer I kept getting from everybody around the program was, well, nobody's ready. Nikosi's not ready. He can't read defenses. He's a guy who dominates practice. He can go out there. He's got the strongest arm. He's the most athletic guy, but we can't trust him. We can't put him in the game because he can't read defenses. That's the overwhelming response I got from just about everybody I spoke to, even the coach's high school coach. And what I find amazing is that all of a sudden you put him out there against FIU and even last week, and you start to see a guy who everything you heard about was true as far as what he was in practice, extremely accurate, tremendous arm, tremendous athleticism. I think what we haven't seen yet is reading the defenses. And I think a lot of that is, is what we're going to see this Saturday against Florida State. Uh, what kind of schemes are they going to throw at him? How complex they're going to be? How much pressure is he going to face? Look, let's face it, against FIU, against North Carolina, he wasn't facing tremendous pass rushes. I mean, if you compare the numbers between him and Malik, 
Nikosi's, I think, faced pressure on 20% of his dropbacks. Malik is somewhere around 38%. So, obviously, Malik had the tougher schedule. He had to play against LSU. Nikosi didn't. So, that's what we're going to see Saturday. We're going to see how far along he's come as far as being able to read defenses and make smart decisions. There have been times already where he's shown you he will make the dumb decision. He will throw the 60-yard heave downfield when there's no play. He will throw the ball into double coverage like he did against North Carolina. Even though it was very nice pass and he fitted in a nice tight window, it was a bad decision to throw that into double coverage. He didn't have to do that. It wasn't third down and 10. It was like second down, and he's trying to force the ball in there. So I think that's what we're going to have to watch here as the season progresses. Does Nikosi Perry take that next step up? Can he read defenses and make the right decisions? And what is he like when he's really facing the pressure? I think a question, we know that he's a far more accurate passer than Malik is. Even when Malik wasn't under pressure, there were many opportunities that he had where he just couldn't get the ball where he needed to go. Nikosi's touch has just been really, really impressive. I thought the touchdown pass against North Carolina uh, was just perfectly placed. He had one against FIU where he threw it right over the top to Brevin Jordan in the end zone, perfectly placed ball. He is by far a superior quarterback in terms of accuracy and touch. But again, it's going to always come down to do you make the right decisions? And that's what separates the quarterbacks who make it into the NFL and the ones who are just good college quarterbacks. So that's, that'll be the test for the coast. This is a, a dorky scouts phrase, but you can see his arm talent, like the accuracy and the strength and the zip. It just looks entirely different. But I, I just, I, I agree with you. I don't think, first off, the two games that he's played in have been kind of wonky. I think you look at the FIU game, I think he made a definite difference and was making some really impressive throws. And if they kept their foot on the gas in the fourth quarter, I think it would have continued to look as impressive. The North Carolina game was just strange. It was a strange game just by virtue yeah. of the fact that you have three defensive touchdowns and they weren't running the ball great at the beginning. But then when they did run the ball, they were running in for 50 yards at a time. And so <laughs> it, there, there really wasn't yeah. any kind of real game scenario that you've seen Nikosi Perry put in and that's why I find this game fascinating because I mean Florida State uh, you know albeit the fact that they're down and you know they were losing to Samford and you know that that Louisville team is not any good the, the the team that they almost lost to away from home so their defense isn't great but it's still Florida State they've got amazing athletes and, and even a down recruiting class for Jimbo are good I'm really fascinated to see what it looks like for him because he hasn't really yet played in a normal game. And I guess my question would be, what happens if he struggles? Like, because are, are yeah. you going to go back to Malik Rozier? Are you under the impression that this is a permanent decision at the quarterbacking position for Miami? Well, I, I think it's as permanent as long as Nikosi doesn't turn the ball over four or five times. I think, mm -hmm. you know, obviously I think Mark Richt is ready for him to struggle a little bit. I, I don't think he, he expects it to be totally easy for Nikosi. And I think he's sort of tried to prepare the media for it, saying, look, Malik is still there. Obviously, we went into last week's game against Carolina without him really formally announcing Nikosi as the starter. So I think the only way back into the game is if Perry gets hurt or if he completely bombs. I think at this point, the torch has been passed. It's in, the ball is in Nikosi's court now to just hold the ball and, and be steady. I mean, look, the, the bottom line is, FSU might be one of the toughest games left on the schedule for Miami before the ACC championship game. And they're supposed to win this game by two touchdowns. So I think as long as Nikosi just does what he's supposed to do, which a lot of the time will be turning around and handing the ball off to DJ Dallas and Travis Homer. I think as long as he does those things, he's going to stay with his job, even if he does make a few mistakes. All right, we'll get back to our podcast here with Manny Navarro in a second, but we've got a great, great promotion that is tied to this game. So all of you Canes fans, all of you Knowles fans, however many of you still exist this season, we're going to get you on betdsi.com. Now, we've been telling you about 
going there and using our code REASON101 to get your deposit matched up to $2,500, your initial deposit. But now we've got something tied directly to this game. So here's all you've got to do. Use the code either Miami or FSU to sign up. Now, whichever team that you think is going to win this game. When you register using that promo code, Chris, Miami or FSU, and you risk up to $100 on the wager, if you lose the wager, they're refunding you the money. So you've got absolutely nothing to lose. That's right, Ethan. Up to $100 if you wager on the game, you'll get it back. So it's basically you get a free chance, a free swing to see if you can correctly predict whether Miami or FSU are going to win the game. And then you can take that money and bet more with it. So, again, nothing to lose by betting over at BetDSI.com. I'm having a fantastic experience betting over at BetDSI.com. Enjoyed some Champions League betting over the last couple of days. And then the football season now, the baseball playoffs, you can wager on that as well. NBA season, not too far away either. So check it out over at betdsi.com. Again, use that promo code Miami or FSU, and you can re- get your money refunded if you lose that bet. So again, check it out. Check it out. Betdsi.com. Point spread right now is Miami minus 13 and a half or minus 550 on the money line. Florida State 13 and a half point underdogs or plus 407. So if you are an FSU fan that's really convinced that Miami could win, you can take a $100 swing on FSU winning, and then you can turn that into $500 if you're right, or you get your $100 back. So BetDSI.com, promo code Miami or FSU. All right, Mandy, let's move on to the next part of this because, you know, again, so much focus on the quarterback, but the reality is that the defense has kind of, you know, hyped it up to another level over the past couple of weeks. And you look at where they are in tackles for loss, you know, as opposed to, again, you mentioned the offensive line for FSU, which is brutal. FSU's defense has not been creating those kind of plays. So is this the kind of game that we could be looking at? We're talking a lot about the quarterback and kind of what they do without Amon Richards, which I feel like Amon Richards at this stage is like the Devontae Parker of the Canes. And I, it's just, I, I mean, I, and, and I hate to say it because I feel bad for him because we were talking about him as a high first-round pick, and now with availability questions, I don't know where he's going to end up. But the defense to me is the big issue with the Canes because they're playing some teams. When you're recruiting players, often the hardest thing to fill out is a quality offensive line. It's, it's hard to find five guys who not only are good at their particular positions, but when you put them together, they play well. And so when we see teams... This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited... How would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, had some difficulties, wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Miami Heat. 
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Struggle a lot of times it is because of the offensive line. You mentioned how bad FSU's is. So, I mean, isn't this a game we should expect the turnover chain two or three times? We should expect FSU to be held under 250 yards, a game that the Canes dominate defensively? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a fair expectation in this game. And Gerald Willis, you know, look, he's, he's not coming off his best game. He had two really dumb penalties against North Carolina, and one of them that led to a touchdown, one of the, the only touchdown for North Carolina. So I think as long as Gerald Willis doesn't lose his mind and pick up stupid penalties, I think there's no reason – he shouldn't dominate this game up front. FSU's had trouble running the ball against everybody this year, uh, even though they've got two really good running backs. So I think this is this is the opportunity for Miami's defense to really shine, really dominate uh, the simple front. That said, Willie Taggart is a very good offensive coach. I don't know that his system is, is perfectly in place right now for, for this FSU team because of the personnel that he has. But I think he's going to make some adjustments in this game, and I expect some surprises. I, I expect FSU to, to do some things that we haven't seen yet on film. And, and the question is, will Miami respond to that? One thing that I think you've seen this defense struggle against all year is when the quarterback takes off and, and runs for whatever reason. And, you know, Joe Jackson, and I asked him about this after the last game. I said, why are you guys sort of having these breakdowns where the quarterback's taking off for 15, 20 yards. And he says, well, we're, we're just not staying in our assignments. Guys are sort of trying to get to the quarterback so badly that they leave these lanes open for the quarterbacks to slip through. And I think DeAndre Francois is not necessarily known for being a guy who takes off and runs all the time. But in this game, that could be the game plan. It could be, hey, let's see how, how much we can stretch Miami's defense out, sending our receivers deep, and then just letting DeAndre take off and run. So, uh, look, Shaq Quarterman's health is going to be important in this game for Miami. He is their leading tackler. He's the guy who leads the middle of that defense. He's got a you know sore left ankle, so a sprained left ankle he's coming back from. Mark Rick said he's, he went through practice today. But we're going to have to see what he's like on Saturday and how, you know, how much pain he can honestly deal with. If he's out and you've got to go to somebody else who isn't part of that regular starting linebacker unit, that could present a problem for Miami. So I wouldn't say this is a slam dunk for the Hurricanes defense, but certainly going in, if Shaq Quarterman is healthy and you get Jaquan Johnson back, I would have to say Miami should win this competition here between FSU's uh, offense and Miami's defense. But in terms of the things that Miami has not been great at defensively, and I think you saw some of it in the North Carolina game, I mean, it's not like North Carolina didn't move the ball. They got into Miami territory eight times, and unfortunately for mm-hmm. them, six of them ended without points. But 
when teams are moving the ball against Miami, it does seem to be that they turn their aggression against them. Uh, opposing offense yeah. can use the way that they're chasing tackles for losses and turnovers, which seems to be the way that Miami wants to play defense, and they turn it against them. Now, it's worked a pretty reasonable success for, for the Hurricanes in the aftermath of the LSU game, the way that they're playing defensively, but you can get yards against Miami. What would you say those weaknesses are? Yeah, certainly what I talked about earlier as far as the quarterbacks being able to escape the pocket and pick up yards. I think teams that, that line up with three running backs in the backfield, which is what you saw North Carolina do some of and, and forces Miami to play sort of this assignment defense where guys have to pick up, you know, either the pitch man or the quarterback. You see some breakdowns with that. LSU, I think, that had a little bit of success with that at times in the opener. So, and then I think in the secondary, Michael Jackson had an elite season last year as a, as a junior and decided to come back. I don't think he's played to the same level he was playing at last year. Trajan Bandy has been solid for them, but you know that third cornerback. There's been moments where Javante Dean has been beaten in coverage. Uh, there's been times where the safeties have been sort of out of position. Uh, Quarterman has given up a few uh, pass plays in coverage. So I mean, I think this isn't look. This defense, their whole mindset is get in the backfield, be disruptive, put pressure on the quarterback, hit guys in the backfield, make it second and third and long. That's what their whole game plan is. If Miami is not doing that against Florida State, they could be in danger of losing this game. All right, so for point four here, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier, and, and I hate to do the Devontae Parker thing to him because I, I feel like Dolphin fans have forgotten Devontae's even on their team. Certainly Canes fans still realize Amon Richards is on their team, but going into last year, he was supposed to be the number one playmaker on offense, uh, him or Mark Walton, and then obviously we, we saw what happened with Walton with the injury, and then Richards couldn't stay healthy. And then this year, again, it's been Jeff Thomas who's emerged as their number one threat not Amon Richards and Amon is not on the field this week so with what they're doing at the skill spots now with how we've seen the tight ends have reacted to the quarterback change the young tight ends with the way Jeff Thomas has played with you know Homer or Dallas or you know one of their backs coming through at times do you think they have enough at the skill positions even if Amon Richards cannot be counted on the rest of the season absolutely I think they've recruited the receiver position even the tight end position. I know there's only two healthy scholarship guys, but I think there's certainly enough there. It was a really smart decision to move DJ Dallas to, to, to running back. By the way, he's he's rated, I mean, among the best in the country. I wrote about him uh, for The Athletic this week about that whole decision to move DJ Dallas from receiver to running back last season as a backup to Travis Homer. He has far outperformed Homer. Uh, in fact, among Power 5 conference running backs, he's number two in elusiveness. Uh, which is basically, you know, being able to make plays downfield once your blockers aren't involved anymore. He's had 19 players miss tackles trying to get him, and and you know, Travis Homer just hasn't run the football as well as he did last year. So that was an important move. I think they got certainly got enough depth with Lorenzo Bengard, the talented freshman at the receiver position. You mentioned Thomas. I think Mike Harley's actually come up pretty huge. Basically, Jeff Thomas is back up in the slot. Um, one thing they've done with Amon out is they put guys in different positions. Amon is sort of the X when Jeff is a slot guy, but Jeff has played a whole lot of the X this season. Mike Harley's gotten more play at, at the slot position, and both of those guys have been really, really effective. And I think when Brevin Jordan had the ball thrown his way, I mean, he's he's shown you that he could be one of the best tight ends in college football in a couple of years, and certainly a guy who has the pedigree maybe to be a first-round pick. So 
I, I look, there, there's so many guys that didn't even play yet at that receiver position. Uh, Brian Hightower, we saw him make a touchdown catch against LSU, but then you have Pope. Mark Pope, who was a five-star kid uh, locally out of Miami Southridge, who's a really uber-talented player. Uh, he hasn't even been on the field yet. So I, if you're asking me, can Miami survive without uh, Amon Richards? They certainly have so far, and I think they could going forward. There's just there's so much talent and depth at those at those positions that – uh, I think uh, I think Mark Rick has set himself up well here. I just kind of find strange, though, that we're five games into the season and there's only three players with double-digit catches. Thomas at 13, Harley at 15, and Brevin Jordan at 13. You just, as much as there is that promise there, I feel like, and I don't mean to be harsh, but there's been promise of that position for a while and it really hasn't been since, like, Alan Hearns was catching a bunch of passes and he was on the same team, I think, as Malcolm Lewis, and they were a fairly reliable tandem. You just haven't seen a group of Miami receivers really emerge all at the same time in one season. Now, part of that is you throw 11 passes against North Carolina and, and you're, you're killing games off against Savannah State and you're bringing a lot of guys through, but there just hasn't been in big games, and it's third down and seven, who are you throwing the ball to? I just don't know if that answer is readily available for, for this Hurricanes team. Well, I disagree. I, I think that there's so many different guys who have come up with big catches already. That said, the majority of these games have been pretty much blowouts. I mean, since the LSU game, and I don't, I don't think other than the, a few tense moments against Toledo, most of these games have just been out of hand. So we've seen this team run the, run the football a bunch. I mean, they're, I think the last three or four games, definitely the last four games, they've run for over 200 yards in each of those. So I think it, there just hasn't been the necessity yet or, or the opportunity really where, you know, either Malik uh, Rozier or Nikosi Perry's had to make too many tough third down runs. And I think a big emphasis with all of that has been for Miami is making sure they have more success on first and second down. They like getting into the third and shorts, uh, especially now that they have a fullback in Trayon Gray. And, and they like, you know, sort of running behind him on third and one, third and two. Last year, that was a major problem for for this team. So I think the reason you just haven't seen the, the third and long is because it just hasn't happened very often. We'll get back to our podcast here with Manny Navarro in a second, but we've talked to you a little bit about doing some betting. You would not bet on the stock market. You would not invest in stocks unless you knew something about the stocks you were investing in, right? So why would you bet on games unless you had the analytics? If you knew where the public was going with their money so you could make an informed decision. We're taking a look right now at this Dolphins-Bengals game coming up this Sunday. Obviously, Dolphins fans depressed. The team's 3-1, and one, but they just got trashed in New England. They're playing a very good Cincinnati team on the road. Ryan Tannehill doesn't play particularly well on the road. Adam Gase doesn't coach well on the road. Man, I'm depressing you more. Anyway, Chris, <laughs> what is the BetQL app, which you can download for free on Google Play for Android or iTunes for Apple? What is the BetQL app telling you about the Dolphins and the Bengals? Not much better than what you were saying, Ethan. They right now have the public is betting this game 50-50 uh, r roughly thereabouts at Bengals minus six. So this line has been set well in terms of the betting public, but their rating on the game is that they think that Cincinnati should be favored by 11 and the Bengals are favored by six. So if you follow their advice, you should be hammering the Cincinnati Bengals to not only win, but cover the six point spread. They think that the Dolphins, particularly away from home, are not going to do well in this game. The line started at five and a half. I imagine some action came in on the Bengals after their after the Dolphins' performance against the Patriots. Bengals winning away from home in Atlanta. This is a really good Bengals team. The Dolphins are up against it, particularly in the minds of BetQL and and it's not just that game. They have you covered on the Red 
Red River Shootout this weekend between Texas and Oklahoma. And depending on your in-app purchases, can take a look at any game in the, either the college football, the NFL schedule. They've got baseball in there as well if you want to bet the Major League Baseball playoffs. So plenty of information available on BetQL. Again, go to the Apple uh, App Store or go to the Google Play Store if you're on Android and download the BetQL app. All right, let's get to the last part of this. And this is about the fans because during this rivalry, it always is. And there's been a really good home atmosphere at Hard Rock Stadium recently for the Canes. I think, you know, it's, for people who just look at it and say, ah, nobody goes to the Canes games, that obviously has been different in the Mark Richt era, you know, in terms of the Notre Dame game, but some of the other games uh, that were not as hyped. And this one obviously is hyped no matter what FSU is. And what I've been saying all week, Manny, and we've Chris and I have talked about this a little on the pod that we did earlier in the week, was that the casual Canes fan, which is the majority of Canes fans, right? Like, I mean, right. because because the, the Canes base is not an alumni base to the same degree as FSU or UF. So you're talking about a lot of casual Canes fans who are kind of like, you know, and as we joke, most of them went to FIU. Um, but, you know, the, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, they're the ones who they kind of look at the team and like, oh, are they good? Okay. I, and, and they get excited about them. And for them – they don't really know the problems that FSU has had. Like they may know the record, but they're not diving deep into it. Like we are here about their offensive line and the transition in coaches. So a Miami win over FSU is going to be celebrated in my view, almost the same way by them as it always is. Um, it, it's more to the hardcore Canes fans who may not you know, put as much stock in it, but what do you think that stadium is going to be like? And, and do you think it's going to be more Miami tilted than it typically is in this rivalry just because, again, the Knolls are just not very good. Yeah, I mean, I've run into a lot of FSU fans, the casual FSU fans, because those exist as well, by the way, uh, who, you know, when they talk about the Seminoles, they just kind of, oh, God, this is a bad team. So I don't know how many Seminoles fans are going to make the trek down here other than the ones that are already here in Miami and just want to go and get drunk and have a good time on, on Saturday. Uh, I, I, I tend to think they're mostly going to be UM and, and FIU students, right? They're going to be the ones that are cheering on the cane. So I, I would tend to think this is going to be a pretty good crowd. 3.30 kickoff. I know it's hot, but at least it's not noon. And so I, I tend to think that there will this will be well attended. You can still go out and do what you want on Saturday night. I expect uh, I expect a pretty good crowd for this one, and I expect them to be loud because Miami should win this game. I mean, it, and, and the turnover chain should be out a few times. I think I think the atmosphere is going to be pretty good. Yeah, and, and that for me is sort of the encouraging signs about this start. And frankly, I, I would say since Hard Rock Stadium underwent renovations, the University of Miami crowd has gotten a lot better, a lot louder, yeah. and a lot more regular. Like, I saw you, you joked on Twitter uh, in kind of the build-up to the North Carolina game that, boy, there seems to be a lot of aqua in the crowd, and then it really filled in. And and that, yeah. like, it, it's really surprising to me that now even your run-of-the-mill ACC games are well-attended because even when, you know, Miami is threatened to be good, I remember when I think they started 6-0 and under Al Golden, they, they played Wake Forest at home before they played Florida State and they were expecting a massive crowd, and then you look up, and it's the usual sea of orange seats that there used to be at the stadium, and I think part, par- partially reducing capacity, and then just the improvements to the stadium and Mark Rick taking over, this has kind of created groundswell that now Miami gets a regular, a regularly great environment of noise and fans and atmosphere that just never existed, even in the glory days of this program. Yeah, you're, you're right, Chris. I mean, it, look, it, there were about 60,000 uh, there for the North Carolina game on on a Thursday night, about 20 minutes before kickoff, when I took that photo, there was probably 10,000. But we know from people 
that <laughs> most of those guys don't get in until halftime, right? They're, they're right. Busy sneaking beers into the stadium. So I, I you know, I, I probably shouldn't have sent that tweet out. I know I angered some Hurricanes fans, mm-hmm. but it was true. I mean, 20 minutes before kickoff was pretty embarrassing. But by the middle of the first quarter, it was it was respectable. All right, last one here uh, for Manny. And again, you can follow him at Manny underscore Navarro or at The Athletic MIA. Uh, he's now writing for The Athletic after years and years and years at the Miami Herald. So I posed this question on Twitter, and it was going one direction, this poll, and then the UCF mafia took it over. They all woke <laughs> up and just flooded right. us. And, and we do have, you know, we do have a UCF podcast. We've relegated it to our patron feed, which is War on I-4 podcast. But obviously, if UCF wins the national championship again, as they did last year, then we'll, we'll make that a free feed. Um, but UCF Miami, Manny, right now, neutral field, neutral field, who wins? It's a great question. I, I'm rooting for that game so badly, and I think it could happen. I mean, why not make that the Peach Bowl this year, right? Why not have Miami and UCF play that game since uh, Hard Rock can't host? They got one of the semifinals. I think if UCF uh, doesn't go undefeated, which if they do, I think they deserve a shot at making the playoffs, and I think Miami should play UCF this year, assuming they're you know only a two-loss team having lost to Clemson in the ACC title game. I think if that's the way things pan out, I hope the uh, selection committee does us all a favor and puts those teams on the field together. But right now, if you were to ask me who wins that game, I honestly have no clue. Oh, cop out, cop out. Come on. I, I honestly don't. I mean, I, I really respect what they've done, but I think this Miami team with Nikosi Perry is totally different, and, and this week is going to tell us a lot. I think if Nikosi looks good against a better FSU defense, against a real pass rush, because FSU does have a real pass rush, if he performs well against them, then I'd say Miami. I'd say Miami would win the UCF game. But if they still look like the Miami we've seen with Malik, where Nikosi struggles, there's pressure on the quarterback, and he's, he's turning the ball over, then I would certainly pick UCF. But I think a lot of my opinion would be based off of what we see from Nikosi. I think that's why this game is so important. We need to see how good Nikosi Perry really is. Chris? I think Miami's better. I, and, and I say that because they lost uh, Sh- uh, Shaquem Griffin, who, who goes to the Seahawks, who was their best defensive player from a year ago. I think you can score points on that team. And as much as UCF was able to move against Auburn, it was a lot less effortless that it, than it is when they play uh, opponents in the American. They still have their number one running back, and obviously they, they, they bring back Mackenzie Milton. It's a good team. It's a really good team. I just think that Miami, by virtue of having better athletes and a, and a dominant defense that can slow them down a little bit, I think, I think Miami would win the game. We're going to send the UCF Mafia to both of you guys. Uh, as, as, soon, as soon as we're done here, at War on I-4 podcast, um, if you're a UCF fan, they get into USF there too. But I, I don't – look, I don't think it's a stretch to say that, that FSU is the fifth best team in the state right now. I, I mean, I, I certainly it's a stretch to maybe put FAU ahead of them, maybe. I don't know. I mean, they, what I, I mean, saw I mean, F- Oklahoma. FAU just lost to Middle Tennessee, so I think right. you can comfortably say yes. Right. Okay. And and FIU, I think we can comfortably say yes. But I but I the other the other four, I I don't know. I mean, Florida is better than I was anticipating, uh, even though I like Dan Mullen. All right. So again, follow him at Manny underscore Navarro. We appreciate your change in venue because it allowed you to come back on the podcast. So that that was good for us. That's all I'll say on that. And we will talk to you soon. Doctors take Field of Greens for their own health. Here's Dr. Ryan Green to explain. We're like you, too much fast food, not enough exercise. That's why I take Field of Greens. 
The fruits and vegetables in Field of Greens support my heart, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism for weight loss. And Field of Greens promises your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. Get 15% off with promo code HEALTH at fieldofgreens.com. That's promo code HEALTH at fieldofgreens.com. Product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.